A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have it to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I never imagined the forest I patrolled could harbor such sinister secrets. My name is Alex, and I was a park ranger stationed in a remote, dense forest known as Ravenwood. For years I had been responsible for ensuring the safety of visitors and protecting the fragile ecosystem within its boundaries. Ravenwood was vast, ancient, and filled with mysteries, but nothing could have prepared me for the chilling events that unfolded deep within its heart. It all started one crisp autumn evening as I was concluding my rounds. The sun had already dipped below the horizon, casting long shadows among the towering trees. I was about to head back to my ranger station when I heard it a soft, barely perceptible whisper that seemed to come from the very trees themselves. At first, I dismissed it as a trick of the wind, a figment of my fatigued imagination. But the voice persisted, growing stronger and more insistent with every step I took towards the source. It beckoned me deeper into the woods, its eerie, melodic tone drawing me in like a siren's song. I couldn't resist the allure of those whispers, and I ventured further, guided solely by their spectral voices. My flashlight cut a narrow beam through the Inkai darkness, revealing gnarled roots and twisted branches that seemed to reach out for me. My footsteps were muffled by the thick carpet of fallen leaves, but the whispers were always there, just ahead, just out of reach. 
Hours seemed to pass as I pressed on, the forest around me growing denser and more oppressive. The air grew cold, and an unnatural hush settled over the woods. It was as if nature itself held its breath, awaiting some terrible revelation. Finally, I reached a clearing deep within the forest, and there, bathed in the faint glow of the moonlight, I saw it a colossal ancient tree unlike any I had ever encountered. Its massive roots writhed and twisted like serpents, and its branches loomed overhead like skeletal arms. The whispers grew more intense, swirling around me in a maddening crescendo. It was then that I realized the truth these were not ordinary voices. They were the voices of the damned, the echoes of tormented souls that had become one with the forest. As I stood there, trembling with fear, the ground beneath me trembled, and the massive tree began to uproot itself, revealing a gaping, black maw at its base. From that abyss emerged a nightmarish creature in amalgamation of roots, earth, and shadow. Its hollow eyes locked onto mine, and I knew that I had uncovered a horrifying secret hidden for centuries. The creature's intentions were clear it hungered for my soul, and it was a fate that countless others had met before me. With a surge of adrenaline, I turned and fled, the whispers of the forest now shrieking in rage as I distanced myself from the ancient malevolence. I ran faster than I ever had, guided only by the light of the moon and the distant beams of my flashlight. The forest seemed to conspire against me, its roots and branches reaching out to ensnare me, but I was determined to escape the clutches of that eldritch horror. Hours later, I stumbled back into the safety of the ranger station, my heart pounding in my chest. I knew that I had uncovered a darkness that should have remained hidden, a secret that would haunt me for the rest of my days. I left Ravenwood, never to return, haunted by the whispers that still echoed in my mind. The forest had revealed its malevolent secret to me, and I had narrowly escaped its grasp. But I knew that Ravenwood would always be there, waiting for the next unsuspecting soul to venture too deep into its heart, and I could only hope that they would heed the warning of the haunted whispers and turn back before it was too late. As a National Guard agent, I've seen my fair share of crises. But nothing, nothing could have prepared me for this. Our orders were clear. Secure the classified government facility. Ensure no information leaks. Standard protocol for a security breach. Or so we thought. We arrived at the facility in Colorado, a nondescript concrete block hidden in the heart of the desert, under the cover of darkness. The main gate was busted open. Inside, it looked like a war zone. The place was ransacked, claw marks etched into the steel walls, blood splatters staining the white tile floors. But there was no sign of the perpetrators. No sign of life at all. As we delved deeper, we stumbled upon something straight out of a horror movie. The facility wasn't just a data center, it was a lab. A lab filled with cages, and in those cages we found the unthinkable. There were creatures, grotesque, monstrous hybrids of humans and animals. Some were dead, victims of the breakout. But many cages were empty. They'd escaped. We soon learned what these creatures were, chimeras, born of illegal genetic experiments. Unholy fusions of man and beast, they were unlike anything we'd ever seen. They were intelligent, strong, and deadly. They were the security breach we were here to contain. The hunt was on. We tracked the chimeras through the sprawling facility, 
each encounter more deadly than the last. These creatures were not mindless beasts. They used their human intelligence combined with their animalistic abilities to evade and attack us. They were the perfect soldiers, and we were their prey. Meanwhile, we began to uncover the truth. We found documents, reports, and video logs detailing the creation of these chimeras. This was a government-sanctioned project, funded by taxpayers, hidden from the public eye. The goal was to create a new kind of soldier, one with enhanced strength, speed, and resilience. Each document we discovered was more disturbing than the last. They had been playing God, and now we were paying the price. We fought the chimeras day and night, using every ounce of our training to outsmart and outmaneuver them. Each encounter left us more drained and desperate, but we couldn't let these creatures escape into the outside world. In the midst of this chaos, we found allies in unexpected places. Some of the facility's staff had survived the breakout. They were as horrified by the project as we were, and they helped us understand the chimeras better. Their insights proved invaluable in our fight. We finally cornered the last of the chimeras in the heart of the facility. It was the most human of them all, a chilling testament to the extent of the experiments conducted here. It fought savagely, but in the end, we managed to subdue it. Once the facility was secure, we had to confront the reality of what we'd uncovered. The conspiracy ran deep, reaching into the highest echelons of power. Our superiors demanded silence, but we couldn't let this atrocity be swept under the rug. August 1994. The month, year, and the memory are permanently etched into my mind. I'm Becky Katz, just an ordinary bookshop customer from Astoria, Oregon. That day, my son and I had decided to take a break from the city noise and spend the day collecting mushrooms near the fish hatchery by Blind Slough, 18 miles away from Astoria off the Columbia River. We had been at it since early morning, and it was around 8.30 a.m. when it happened. The morning mist was still lingering around the trees, the air crisp and clean. As we carefully navigated through the undergrowth, a sudden rustle caught our attention. We turned towards the noise, and that's when we saw it. It was a figure, gray-brown and larger than any man I'd ever seen. Its body was covered in thick, matted fur, and it had an unmistakable wildness about it. It looked somewhat like a bearded hunter, but its size and stature were far from human. I remember the moment our eyes met. It was only a split second, but it felt like an eternity. There was a look of surprise, maybe even fear, in its eyes. And then, just as suddenly as it had appeared, it turned and ran away, disappearing into the dense forest. My son and I were frozen in place, shock and fear rendering us motionless. When we finally came to our senses, we ran in the opposite direction, not stopping until we had reached the safety of our car. As we drove back home, we kept replaying the incident over and over in our heads. We were both trying to make sense of what we had seen. After some discussion, we arrived at the only possible explanation that made sense we had seen Bigfoot. I still remember the feeling of disbelief, the adrenaline rush, and the fear. But more than that, I remember the sense of awe and wonder. We had witnessed something extraordinary that day, something few people get to see in their lifetimes. Since that day, our mushroom collecting trips have been filled with a sense of anticipation and excitement. We never saw the creature again 
but the memory of that day remains as vivid as ever. It was a reminder that there are still mysteries in this world, waiting to be discovered. And sometimes, those mysteries find you when you least expect them. I, Officer Lamage, reported a terrifying sighting of what I believe to be the legendary Mothman. My sighting occurred on highway in Wyoming. Suddenly, in front of me, right above a slow-moving car, was the figure of a man with his wings folded in across his back. The wings appeared to be leathery in texture, like a bat's, and were even pointed on the ends. A sort of sting protruded from the creature's belt line. I stopped my car and tried to get out when I saw the creature taking off in flight at an incredible speed. I would describe it as follows. It stood between six and seven feet tall, had a wingspan over 14 feet wide from tip to tip, and large glowing red eyes. It flew at an angle towards the east. It made no noise other than a whooshing sound like air through its wings. It had claws on its feet and something on its back looking like two cylinders. I reported my sighting to the local PD where I was laughed at, ridiculed, and finally forced into early retirement for psychological reasons. I was told that if I reported another sighting of this kind, I would be brought up on charges of mental instability. It's interesting to note that I am extremely well respected within the community. I'm an upstanding member of society with no history of family or personal mental illness or alcoholism. I am very much a regular guy with a wife and kids. This has been one hard creature to research due to the reluctance of people involved in the case that are willing to talk about it. I immediately went and checked the area where I think I initially came across something which was just a short distance away. The road on which I saw it circles around comes back up on the top of itself in an oval-like shape, with gravel roads going out in different areas of the farm. We were not able to find anything, but even my son said he thinks he saw something by one of those houses. It's no longer there, but maybe even a garden plot that had been abandoned long ago. The land has been farmed for probably decades now before being converted into pasture land. The entire sighting lasted approximately three seconds from me seeing it while driving until it was fully gone. Since the sight was airborne from my recollection, it was extremely large, stood right next to a tree. I saw a shine and the eyes were large as well, with what appeared to be claws on its feet. The creature had long hair or fur all over it. Most of it was covered by something that I said appeared like a cape or wings, even covering most of its body lengths. I couldn't tell if they were webbed, but they were definitely something attached to it which we may have thought. I am 100% positive I saw this, and I'm actually very shaken up about it since I clearly have no explanation for it. My car stopped working immediately after the sighting, so I believe there's some sort of electrical interference occurring at the time. I believe it stood about seven foot tall, dark in color, wings folded across its back, and extended like a stingray. My car stopped working after it took off into the air at an angle towards the eastern direction. But due to the electrical interference with my radio, which was turned off at the time of the sighting, which is also noted with other Mothman encounters, we were not able to find any evidence of anything. But we both believe I saw something and would like to help finding what I saw. I have two stories. First was about 1997, 
opening weekend deer season Central California. I was sitting in camp after setting up the Thursday before the opener, had a campfire going. This was base camp for the whole season, so we set up everything. Sitting by the fire just BSing with my cousin, when three lights started making their way up the hill, about eight feet off the ground. I thought they were possibly fireflies none. This side of the Sierras or maybe sparks floating from another fire. As they got closer I realized they were about baseball sized and pretty consistently bright. They made their way up the side of the mountain, watched them for a good four to five minutes, they didn't fade. Just went over the hill out of sight. No drugs or alcohol involved, just some bright lights and weird feelings all weekend. Like being watched. Second was probably no more than three miles from the first place, opening weekend again, but this was about four years ago. Moving along the edge of a meadow, my 14-year-old nephew with me for his first archery deer hunt. I have bear tag as well. He points and whispers, bear, I see it, about 100 yards, pulling a log apart looking for grubs, wind in my favor, so I start stalking. Got to about 60 yards, pull the rangefinder, start putting it away and the wind swirled. I feel it on the back of my neck. The bear stands up on two legs. Not a bear, whatever it was, was about seven feet, covered in black hair, half turned to me and walked away. On two legs. Silently. Not super surprised by that, it was on a bed of pine needles. Was shooting light, but dark in the meadow. Wasn't a bear, and it was big. It was my best friend's birthday. We pitched tents in the backyard. Six of us went for a walk on the dirt road in the canopy. On the other side of the canopy is the Willamette River. Four of the friends kept walking further up the road. My friend and I sat down to talk in the shade. That's when rocks started to be thrown in the river. We thought our friends were trying to scare us. When we met up with them, they were mad at us because they thought we were trying to scare them by throwing rock in the water. After figuring out it was not any one of us, we were all kind of scared. As kids, we were told of bums and or drug growers on the banks of the Willamette. We were not thinking of Bigfoot at all. We turned and started to walk back to the yard, and there they were. One large Bigfoot standing in front about seven to eight feet tall, and two smaller ones standing behind about six feet tall. They came up from the riverside, stood in front of us and snorted, Maybe 10 seconds felt like forever, and then took off on two feet through the brush opposite from the river. I had never seen something move so fast and so quiet once they hit the brush. My friends ran, I stood frozen in fear. I believe due to shock I blacked out the experience for a long time. It is one of the most horrible things to go through. Who do you talk to about this stuff? No one believes the story. I have met up with one of the people that was there. He says that he doesn't remember what he saw. He just remembers everyone being really scared and running back to the yard. It's so frustrating. I wish I would have never seen it so that I wouldn't have to believe. Here is one of the creepiest encounters I've ever, which took place in the spring of 2015. It's important to the story to know that I was basically a huge jerk leading up to what happened. See, I'm a graduate student, and I was at this point about six, eight months into a new relationship with a woman named Sarah. 
If it matters, I am female and we were both around 30 at this time. The prior year before I met Sarah, my best bud from school Josh and I had gone on a great camp and grow trip over spring break. This year, I messed up and basically double booked myself to go camping with Josh and with my girlfriend because I am a scatterbrained idiot and I got confused about what plans had been discussed, solidified. Both Josh and Sarah were justifiably really pissed off and hurt, but I had made the plan with my girlfriend first, ultimately, so I had to flake on Josh. When it came time to planning, Sarah and I picked a campground in southwestern Pennsylvania with lots of good hiking. It's at least a five-hour drive from where we live. We made reservations and I mentioned the plan to Josh. Well, it turns out, of all the campgrounds in the region, Josh had also decided to head to that one as it connected to a long bike trail he wanted to go on. He had decided to go camping alone. So we knew Josh would be at the campground before we got there. But things were super awkward between me and him, on account of my being an asshole and him being generally a bit depressed around that time. We stayed three nights and Josh was there for the first and second night. We'd rented out a small cabin, basically a prefab shed with bunk beds, because it was cheap and we have a leash reactive, wimpy about rain dog, and it's sometimes easier that way. Josh was tent camping in another spot. I think Josh and I were mostly planning on avoiding each other. He was rightfully still angry. Things were awkward and I figured he needed some space from me. But it turned out only one bathroom was open on our side of the campground, since it was only early April and most of the campground was still closed down for the season. Josh's campsite was right next to the open bathroom, so we ended up seeing him when we walked to the bathroom at night. I saw heard signs of one or two other groups on the far side of the campground, but they had their own bathroom open over there and we never really saw them. It's a very large and forested campground and only small sections at either end were open for the season. The second night, Josh was out in his campsite when we came through to the bathroom before bed. It was after midnight at this point. Josh seemed super depressed and we had a very strange and awkward conversation with him, took care of what we needed to in the bathroom and headed back to our little shed down the road. The roads in this part of the campground were basically like an inverted F with the bathroom above the top of the F. In between the two arms of the F was a stand of trees next to the main road, a small, locked shower building in Josh's campsite, furthest from the main road, the main road being the vertical line of the F. We were staying off the main road further down on the opposite side, so that night we'd cut past Josh's camp to get to the bathroom, but on the way back, we followed the road, so as not to bother him, as he seemed in a bad mood. It was dark and I'm easily spooked. We had the dog with us, which was somewhat reassuring, since he looks semi-tough despite being a nutcase and a wimp. But I'm looking around nervously, and as I glance over my shoulder, I think I see a man off to the side of us. My brain processes this very slowly, as I just caught a glimpse of him as I turned my head, and it was very dark. I convinced myself my mind was playing tricks. I didn't look back and see Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to Quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Silently walked with Sarah and the dog back to our cabin. When we got back to the cabin, I thought Sarah looked a little spooked, which is unusual, since she's a lot braver than me. Eventually, she says, That guy was really creepy, right? So shit. He was real. I told her I saw him, but had convinced myself my eyes were playing tricks on me. But no, we both saw someone with no flashlight standing in the trees just off the road, maybe 15 feet from us. I asked if it might have been Josh. Neither of us were really convinced, but wanted to convince ourselves so we could get some sleep. And he had been wandering around being moody 15 minutes before, and it was right by his campsite. I think we didn't want to freak ourselves out any further, so we locked the cabin and didn't talk about it much more. The next morning it was pouring rain, so Josh decided to pack up and leave early instead of spending the day in the area. We shouted goodbye to him as we headed to the bathroom, and he ran around tossing shit in his trunk and trying not to get drenched. That night was a weekend, and there was a big family in the cabin next to ours and everything felt far less spooky. But when we got back to town a day later, I texted Josh, asking him if he'd been lurking creepily in the woods. He said no. Well, I told him what we'd seen, and he said he'd seen a guy the prior night lurking in the woods without a flashlight. Same general description, which I'll get to, same area. The guy had really creeped him out, so much so that the next day he bought the biggest mag light he could find, so he'd have more than just a pocket knife to defend himself. But he'd also mostly convinced himself it was a park ranger. Yeah, with no flashlight, let alone a vehicle. But he more or less willed himself to believe it, so he could get some sleep. So, once we could no longer pretend it was Josh, Sarah and I compared notes. What we both saw and what Josh saw the night before was this. A tall, gaunt white man in his late forties, with clean-shaven sunken cheeks, in the stand of tree scramble just off the road, in the space between the arms of the F. He was wearing a raincoat, rubber boots and a hat, and had no flashlight. He was just standing still and staring coldly in our direction. I remember his raincoat, his sunken face, and how very cold his gaze felt. In contrast, Josh is several inches shorter than whoever we saw, was not wearing a raincoat that night which we knew because we'd just seen him. But we convinced ourselves otherwise bearded, 29 years old at the time. I should add, it wasn't raining. To be clear, where this guy was was not somewhere you'd be strolling through. It was a thick, brambly area. He had made the effort to move out of the road and to stay in the shadows and away from the bright bathroom light, both nights. We're sure he wasn't going to the bathroom, though we were on the women's side, 
You can hear the men's side clearly and Josh had been outside in view of the bathroom doors both nights. He didn't look like he lived in the woods, which is to say, he appeared clean and groomed, and his clothes weren't worn or dirty. Whatever he may have been doing in the middle of the night in a nearly abandoned campground with no flashlight, he was clearly making an effort not to be seen. We all discussed it and Josh ultimately called the campground to let them know. They said they'd check it out. Although my camping fees were mysteriously refunded, we never heard anything more. Josh is still a little mad at me for seeing a potential murderer lurking the woods near his tent and not doing anything. Out of curiosity, we just checked to see if anything had happened in the park. A number of people have gone missing in the state park over the years, some slightly mysteriously. Most were found downriver and believed to have fallen into the rapids on accident. I'm sure it's unrelated, but the whole place gives me the creeps, and I still can't figure out what that man was doing. Living on New River Mountain in this county, I have been much wrought up by a phenomenon which has been witnessed there at intervals for several months, but only recently assumed startling proportions. In May, reports were circulated of a mysterious rain of tiny stones, which apparently came out of nowhere. At first, these reports attracted little attention, but as time passed, they became general. In May, several stones fell in a clearing near the cabin of Cy Henley, who lives halfway up the north slope of the mountain. These were jagged pieces of sandstone the size of a walnut. I remember Henley cursing the person supposed to have thrown the stones. One night in June, I was wakened by sounds on the roof like the falling of hail. As I had a little garden patch, I was uneasy as to the effect of the hail. Examination in the morning developed that the hail was composed of tiny stones. I spoke of this to other mountaineers, and it was learned that stones had fallen at other points on the mountain. In July, a clearing almost on top of the mountain was visited by a desultory rain of stones, many of them striking buildings with loud noise and bounding off. A peculiarity of this shower was the presence of several pebbles, which are as rare on that mountain as icicles in August. The superstition of the mountaineers was aroused, and some strange theories were advanced. The reports grew as they went. A newspaper in a neighboring county recently printed a story that showers of stones were constant on the mountains, and that business was suspended on account of the excited condition of the populace. The fact is that the populace consists of not more than a dozen families scattered over the mountains, and there never was any business to suspend. The most peculiar manifestations occurred on the farm of Ellison Fosman, a justice of the peace living on the south slope. Several stones had fallen here at intervals of a day or so, and Ed Meekers, a school teacher of the vicinity, went to Fosman's to investigate. A stone was heard to fall in the yard, and after some search we found it. It was almost sunk beneath the hard surface of the ground and was smooth, black, and of a perfectly oval shape, and about the size of a robin's egg. Meeker said it was warm when he touched it. Just as he stooped, Another stone struck him with a sharp blow in the small of the back. This stone was scarcely larger than a lima bean and about the same shape, although not so regular. A stone about as large as a man's fist and resembling brown hematite iron ore fell on the roof of Addison Butt's house, two miles from Fosman's, and bounding off, fell into a barrel of water standing at the corner of the house. 
It sizzled like hot iron and sent up a little cloud of steam. This stone is undoubted of meteoric origin, as some of the others may be, but the average falling stone is an irregular, jagged bit of sandstone, and small clouds of coarse sand accompany some of the stones. Twigs are broken off trees, shingles split, and corn broken down. Probably a bushel of these stones have fallen, all in all, in the clearings. If, as seems probable, the phenomenon has been general over the mountain, several tons must have fallen. In the valley of New River Mountain, the wildest reports receive credence, and the Rev. John Justin, a local Baptist exhorter, is using them with startling effect at nightly revival meetings at the Little Log Schoolhouse. It was 1970 and my entire family was driving home from Arizona to Washington. My two brothers and older sister were asleep in the back seat of our scout. I was three sleeping on my mother's lap in the front seat. My dad always prefers the scenic route, so we were driving through the painted desert, Arizona. It was about an hour or so before dawn. My dad says it caught his eye on the right side of the road, just out of nowhere. One minute there was no light and the next it was there softly glowing. As they approached this light, they could see it was a man dressed in a bright, shiny metal suit. It reminded him of armor. He said he seemed to be almost seven feet tall. The figure stretched out its arm and motioned for them to come forward. He doesn't remember being afraid, just in awe. My mom confirms everything he said up to that point. They lost a couple of hours and don't remember driving out of there. My dad says he came to pump gas. It stayed with him all his life. He was a great artist and drew the scene hundreds of times over the years. It was a day like any other in Wyoming. As a park ranger, my job was as routine as it came patrolling, maintaining, and ensuring the safety of the park's wildlife and visitors. My name's Bernie, by the way. That evening, I decided to take a walk through a cornfield. I often went bow hunting in my free time, so naturally, I had my bow and arrows with me. The cornfield was silent, except for the rustle of the corn stalks dancing in the breeze. The sun was setting, casting long, eerie shadows that blanketed the field. Suddenly, I felt an odd sensation like I wasn't alone. It was a primal instinct, that gut feeling of being watched. As I turned around, I came face to face with a huge creature that towered over me. I gasped, my heart pounding in my chest. The creature stood upright like a man but covered in thick, matted hair. Its eyes were intense, almost human. I realized then that I was looking at what can only be described as Bigfoot. Fear gripped me, but instinct took over. I reached for my bow and let an arrow fly. It struck the creature square in the chest. With a monstrous roar, it fell to the ground. Slowly, I approached the fallen beast, my heart hammering in my chest. But as I neared, the body just vanished. One moment it was there, the next it was as if it had never existed at all. Dumbfounded and terrified, I sprinted back home. My wife, seeing the ashen color of my face, commented that I looked as white as a cloud. I could barely stammer out what had happened. That evening changed me. Every rustle in the trees, every shadow in the field, I wondered if the creature was watching. Years ago, I experienced something that still haunts me to this day. 
At the time, I was dating my abusive ex, though I was still deeply in love with him. It's difficult to admit now, but back then, I couldn't see the reality of our relationship. One day, we were sitting together on a bench in Yellowstone National Park, and I found myself laying in his lap while he gently ran his hand through my hair. I remember looking up at him and noticing something strange, as if there were something else present with us. Suddenly, a piercing sound filled my ears, and for a brief moment, I saw a demonic face overlapping my ex's. The demon had horns, and its flesh appeared rough, possibly burnt. Thick, gray smoke swirled around it. It was only for a moment, but I saw the demon laughing and I got you kind of laugh. It was utterly chilling. I've never experienced anything supernatural before or since that incident, and I had never even believed in demons until then. I don't discuss this encounter with many people for obvious reasons, but the memory remains vivid. One day, years after the incident, I was hiking in a national park, and I met a park ranger named Tom. After chatting for a while and feeling a sense of trust, I decided to share my eerie story with him. To my surprise, Tom told me that he had heard of similar experiences from other people who had visited the park over the years. He revealed that some people believed the park was haunted by dark energies that could manifest themselves in various ways. Tom's knowledge of these stories brought me a strange sense of comfort, as it made me feel less alone in my experience. We continued to talk about the supernatural and shared other stories we had heard. By the end of our conversation, I felt a bond with Tom, and I was grateful to have met someone who could understand and validate what I had gone through. As I left the park that day, I couldn't help but wonder about the dark forces that might be lurking in the shadows, waiting to prey on unsuspecting victims. The park that I service gets little to no traffic anymore. Part of that is simply because of how small the town is. Another part of that is today's Americans just don't get out for the fresh air anymore. It's kind of sad, really. I see video games are the new fresh air of today and tablets and phones and electronics. A lot of them involve getting out into the wild and enjoying fresh air and hunting and surviving. Nobody is really into that anymore. People would rather literally pay money for a simulation than they could just go out themselves and do it. And yet, even as little traffic as our park gets, I still find just enough litter to make me irritated as if people get out into nature just long enough to ruin it for everyone else. I was cleaning up some wrappers off a park bench when, among them, I noticed something different. There was one of these corn husk dolls, the kind that are fashioned after the type that Native Americans used to make. It didn't have a face, just a blank knob for a head and four nubs for arms and legs. Cute and creepy, I thought to myself until I noticed a small piece of paper rolled up and tucked into one of its folds. I unrolled it out of curiosity and it said, Hello there. I smirked and threw it. After I was done picking up all the trash, I went back to my patrol car. When there was another corn doll stuck behind the handle of the door, it too had another message that it read. I said hello. I kind of prickled and looked around. As far as I could tell, I was the only person in the park and I hadn't seen or heard anyone. But then again, I was very absorbed in my work when I was picking up trash. It's possible that somebody was watching me and playing an elaborate prank just so they could do it for, you know, giggles. 
Still, I didn't like to think that somebody had gotten by me like that. I quickly got inside my car, shut the door, and no sooner had I done that, I noticed a third doll sitting on my steering wheel, also having another note that said, Could you use a hand? I nearly soiled myself when something smacked into the windshield. It took a second to fully register, but I realized it was a severed arm and hand, cut off at the elbow. Immediately, I radioed out that we had something going on in the park, and the response came fairly quick, as you would suggest and expect. But I wasn't sure if it was soon enough to keep whoever this was inside the park. I brought everybody up to speed, and there was a very thorough sweeping. They didn't find anything, no body, no killer, nothing, not even another doll. Forensics even did tests on the severed arm and unfortunately found that it belonged to a child that had been missing for over two months. The arm that hit my windshield is relatively fresh, so that meant the kid had died recently. The rest of the day kind of went by in a haze. I felt like a failure for not catching this monster, and all the moments that I could have when he was tampering with my car. Again, we never found anything, and the person was never caught. It's a mystery that will always be left as just that, a mystery. As a park ranger, I have seen a lot of odd things in my time. We get people that come out here for all sorts of reasons, especially in the camping area when it's off-season. I've stumbled across all sorts of weird stuff, but so long as that weird stuff is legal and consensual, if you get my drift, then that's up to them, no judgment. Most of them can't even look you in the eye the next morning, and we just have a small chuckle about that. As I said, if you are consenting adults, it's your own business. But one time, I came across something that ended up being a police investigation. You see, I was out and about performing one of the last evening patrols before heading home for the night. We had three tents booked in that night, and it was getting towards winter when the camping area would be closed. Two couples had appeared, and one family with a mother, dad, and two small babies. The tents were fairly spaced out, and just before midnight, everything was quiet. I just finished up, heading back to the office to sign off, when I saw a young girl, probably no older than 18, run past me. She was just in her underwear, and from the quick flash I saw of her face before running off to the trees, she was terrified, all wide-eyed and mouth ready to scream. Immediately, I turned around, shining my flashlight in the direction she'd ran off to. There was nothing. I headed that way and looked all around, calling out even nothing. I recalled the three ladies that were booked into the campsite. They were all older, the mom was likely in her later thirties, and the two women and the couples were around their mid-twenties, I would think. There was no good reason for a young girl to be running around in the dead of night when it was freezing cold. So I went through protocol and alerted colleagues and police. They headed out and conducted a more thorough search, woke the campers who were not happy that the babies had been disturbed. But there was no trace, literally no trace. I'm talking zero footprints where I'd seen her, no apparent way in or out that showed any evidence somebody had even ran through here, and no reports of missing teen girls or bodies showing up. I was relieved, but at the same time, not exactly sure what I saw. It did leave the question of, what the hell did I see, or did I possibly hallucinate it? I guess time will tell.
So recently me, my wife and the rest of the family that lives with us have been hearing and or smelling strange sounds. At first we thought it was the stray cats or raccoons, but then things started getting weirder. We started hearing sounds. Sometimes it would be footsteps. Other times we would hear knocking. We thought maybe we smoked a bit too much of the devil's lettuce, but everyone else in the house was also hearing these things. That's when the sound started sounding like people talking to us. But the weird thing was it always sounds like they are incredibly far away. The most recent thing was the smell of a rotten corpse of some kind. But I couldn't for the life of me remember when I last smelled a corpse like that. The smell seemed almost intense as if it were right in front of me. I checked around our home and under it to make sure there were no dead animals. This happened at almost 12 at night when my wife and I were outside smoking. I had my brother come out and check, and even he agreed that it wasn't just me who smelled it. He said it smells like a corpse of person. That's when I remembered why the smell seemed so familiar because a man had died a few years ago, and I remember how many times we walked by his corpse. They realized he died inside the wall, but I never forgot the smell. It was a very horrid smell. Still, that smell only has happened once, and it hasn't come back that I know of. I'm usually one to think of scientific reasons. I ended up checking if any possible sewage had leaked from a pipe, or if it came from our neighbor's home, but nothing seemed out of the ordinary. These weird happenings only seem to happen at night, and most of the people who live near us are usually asleep by 10 p.m., and we stay up till about 12 or 1 in the morning. My neighbors have told me that on the few occasions they have been outside at that hour, they say they feel uncomfortable or they hear something, but they chalk up to maybe the random animals or them being tired. I'll post an update if anything significant happens. I would also like any opinions or theories to know what it might be.